one and all to episode 73 of the Scum and Villainy Podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast where we break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, in my co-pilot seat on this very exciting episode, it's Noah to George. I'm so excited for today's episode. I'm like, this we- is like the most excited that I've been to like really get into something that's like quick get the microphone get the headphones on get <laughs> get that guy on the zoom call we got to talk about some stuff yeah it's funny that these shows come out when they do obviously um my neck of the woods it's at midnight yours i believe would be 2 a.m 2 a.m my, my time zones knowledge is 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 right on it but um it's funny that like you know you work i i work oftentimes uh on on these days thankfully i had the day off today so i was able to stay up last night uh late uh, waiting for Andor, but even still, it's like, oh, can it just be going to be going to be recording time yet? I want to <laughs> talk about this show. So, uh, yes, you and I are going to be talking about episodes one through three of Andor. Um, very excited to be breaking down these uh, episodes with you. You and I always have a great time talking about these new shows coming out. Um, it's been um, a little bit since you and I have had the pleasure of sitting down and talking about you know the the new the, what's new in this week of Star Wars television last week. We did was um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and now we are talking into Andor. Uh, we are still firmly in the month of Septandor. <laughs> yes, we are. We're <laughs> the, planted the- in it. That's right. Uh, near the tail end of it, though. But yes, very excited to be talking about the series and also welcome to any new um, listeners who are interested in uh, hearing our thoughts about this. So hopefully you guys can uh, stick around and you can hear our thoughts on all of the episodes. Yeah, we have, uh, we have so many thoughts about so many things. We got 70-ish whole episodes <laughs> of thoughts. Exactly. I believe 73, if my intro is to be believed. But uh, yeah, you and I are going to be talking about episode one through three of Andor um, last night or early this morning. Uh, The first three episodes of season one of Andor hit the world by storm. I'm seeing lots of positive reactions online. I haven't seen any kerfuffles yet. Granted, my engagement with the Star Wars fandom online is rather limited. I try not to venture too far into that corner of things but are you hearing any words or is have you if you were you radio silent to, to avoid any spoilers uh i i stayed off of uh, social media most of today and then i found myself instinctively going on instagram uh while taking a number two about halfway through the day because mm-hmm. that's what you do um, a healthy body yeah healthy right, digestion right. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm on Instagram and I am. You're like, oh, crap. (laughs) Whoa. And (laughs) I am seeing an advertisement for Andor. And then I thought about it and I was like, there's not going to there's not going to be like anything like spoiled like today. Like there wouldn't be anything that's like, all right, episodes one through three dropped. Saw Guerrera killed Emperor Palpatine (laughs) or, you know, it's it's not going to be anything. He would. He would. He would. Honestly, Uh, (laughs) it's not going to be anything crazy. So I was just like, you know what? I'll just I'll stay off of Twitter. I'll scroll through anything that says Star Wars on Instagram. I think I'll I'll be good. And I was good. And nice in terms of uh, hearing, you know, hearing any kind of reactions or anything. The one thing that I will that I will say I noticed is, you know, when uh, when people like haven't latched onto something when you go on like your search feed on like a social media place like Instagram mm-hmm. and you see like a very specific kind of uh, of content. So yeah. I haven't seen anything that's like, check out this cool fan designed thing for Andor because everyone loves it. I have a, I have a feeling that those kind of people that are keeping up with all the new shows and everything maybe are, still feeling the waters on this one a little bit, which I think is hilarious. Um, but 
we'll we'll talk about it. We'll we'll get into it. Exactly. Yeah, they're they're probably waiting to you know reserve judgment. Uh, maybe because that's they're like, where is this show going to stand politically? Even though I think it's pretty obvious from the get go. Oh, it's so um, obvious. <laughs> it's so obvious. I was well, like, yeah. I was like licking my lips at some of these things. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, they did. Oh yeah. yeah. We'll we'll definitely be talking about that for sure. But before we get into our thoughts, I'm always curious. You know, new show, new chapter. I mean, you and I started this very show off with starting about or started talking about a new show that was a season one of the bad batch did you have any sort of ceremonial viewing for this did you have snacks ready or was it just i gotta get this watch for the show what was all that like what was the viewing ambiance like well so you you mentioned that you had the day off um and so you kind of uh, took this at your leisure when this dropped, uh, and then I, I believe you had said you're able to rewatch some pieces of it uh, yeah. to kind of get a full understanding. Since you know, midnight's still kind of late, um, and three mm-hmm. episodes is a lot to take in. Um, but like you said, I work, and uh, I'm fortunate enough to uh, to live not too far or live not too far from where I work. Um, and so I raced home. I had already put in my mobile order at Taco Bell, which is <laughs> which is uh, literally like the next block over from my house. Uh, so I ran to Taco Bell, and then there was a train. There's a train tracks that go right oh, by no. our place. And normally it's a metro, but today it was like a, a freight train, like oil tankers, you know, and uh, like cargo boxes and things. And... Mm-hmm it was like backed up like crazy. And I oh, was whipping no. through all these side roads to get to the Taco Bell drive through like just full on Forza <laughs> to the Taco Bell drive through And I got there, I got out, uh, I made it back home at about 5.30 and I was like, okay, I can't watch this in my living room because uh, I share a house with two people uh, and this is somewhat imposing. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I don't, I also don't want to watch this on my computer. And this is the first time I've done this and it was very enjoyable, but I, uh, I had this huge monitor that I use for our recording purposes and whatnot. Uh, and I rearranged my desk. I set up the monitor to be facing my bed and I sat down with my, uh, with my cravings box from Taco Bell, uh, with my big monitor and had my own little TV party. Hell yeah. uh, With a, I also have a chocolate cake that I got out of the fridge. Uh, so that was my ceremonious viewing. And I will say it did feel very much like this is it. This is a big deal. Like I'm sitting down for this and this yeah. is important. So I had a very, very comfortable and uh, solitary watch with this. Very nice. Yeah. I stayed up late last night um, watching this uh, into the wee hours of the morning. Um, I was uh, around episode two, started to get pretty tired. Uh, never quite fell asleep during the whole thing. I was I was awake uh, uh, as attentive as you can be at 2.30 a.m., um, but watched all three episodes, went to bed, woke up again this morning, and, and then rewatched all of them. But as far as last night, um, I mean, granted, it was very late into the evening, so my snacking was was pretty limited. Um, I had not supposed uh, to eat too much before bed. That's it gives not, you reflux. You know? Exactly. I had a little bit. I will admit, I had. A, I must. I like. I like to have a little snack while I watch my show. So I, I had a little bit of a spicy cheese that's before you bed. Say which, that one more time, uh, so that I can record this and send it to your doctor. He's going to be furious <laughs> with you. 
<laughs> Joke's on you, Noah. I don't have a, a doctor that I visit regularly because I don't have health care. Just kidding, I do. But um, uh, yeah, I just uh, was watching the the show with my with my uh, very modest snack. Uh, very excited to uh, intake all of this. And yeah, I rewatched it this morning with a delicious breakfast burrito uh, in my morning cup of joe. Uh, so yeah, I have had a chance to watch this show twice, um, which is why my thoughts and opinions on these first three episodes are pretty set in stone. Um, I definitely uh, am very well aware of what my first impressions are of the show. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm used to them now and I'm not you know quite still forming them, but the show is a little bit more fresh for you. So and I'm wondering what are your kind of first impressions of the first three episodes of Andor? Well, this is what I'll say, and I, and I run into this a lot where a lot of times with these new shows that come out when it's a big deal, whether it's Marvel or Star Wars or whatever it might be, um, I typically am watching in kind of a, a watch party setting, whether it's, you know, myself and my wife and we're sitting down to, to watch something together, see what we think of it, or if it's myself, my dad, my brother, you know, some friends, sometimes I'm able to do something like that. Um, yeah. And so by the end of it, I'll have my opinion sort of colored by a lot of different, uh, a lot of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Uh, sitting with this alone was the greatest because I like my Didn't first have to hear all the crap from everybody. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I was like, I was talking out loud, like as if there would have been somebody here. There's a point where I'm like, Ooh, this is, this is not for everybody, but it sure is for me. Like, uh, but I, I will say like having, having a discussion about it, uh, as we will, um, my opinion may or may not kind of shift around and I'll be able to gain some insight, you know, like we both always do from each other on this show. Mm -hmm. Um, but as of right now, my first impressions are like, I'm happy with how I feel about the show because I like haven't been colored by any kind of online talk or opinions or having anybody watch it with me. So I'm really excited to get into it, but I've got very strong first impressions, um, in a very good way. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of those shows that I was like, initially when it was announced, I was like, huh, all right, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see. And then from every piece of marketing that we got for this, my excitement only increased. Like I, to the point to where before the release of this show, I was very confident that what we were going to be getting is something really different. Um, I described this uh, on Twitter as being a unique flavor of Star Wars, which is precisely what I feel that we get. Um, yes, this is Star Wars through and through. Uh, it's still in a galaxy far, far away, but it's delivery of uh, some of the ideas Ideas and themes that we see throughout all of Star Wars, no matter how mature um, or how, quote unquote, you know, juvenile or in a way or childlike or whatever word you want to use. I think that this still has those key ingredients, but it's delivered in such a unique way. There are scenes in this um, that I, if you clipped out of context and you showed to somebody I don't think it would immediately recognize as Star Wars, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think Star Wars can come in so many different shapes and sizes, and this is just a shape and size that I really feel like I haven't seen before, even with Rogue One. Like, this series is far more 
you know, boots on the ground, kind of naturalistic than what we're used to seeing with so much uh, storytelling in this. Um, and it's delivered in such a way that feels a little bit more leaning towards the sci-fi rather than the fantasy. There's definitely fantasy in there, of course, but it's it's a little bit more science fiction. Um, it's a little bit more Blade Runner in a way, um, especially the kind of the opening sequence of this series, which we'll uh, no doubt be talking about soon, um, just kind of felt like, whoa, I don't think I've really seen this in this way. Um, this show deals with a lot of mature themes, a lot of mature ideas, um, but it still never quite like abandons that young 12 to 13 year old audience that George Lucas is really interested in. If you're going to ask me if like, would my six year old be interested in the show? <laughs> Probably not. You wait, know, wait a minute. Back up. Who is this kid? <laughs> wait, wait a minute. <laughs> My six-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> no. When did he get here? The, yeah, he's right next to me. Welcome to the show. No, that's uh, my, the hypothetical six-year-old uh, okay. within us all. I thought I was know? about to be replaced. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> New co-host is just my my toddler that I've been hiding and under this always, desk for six years. And my wonderful co-host, Junior McDowell. <laughs> Oh my goodness. No. Uh, yeah, just the idea that Star Wars can be so many different things like we've talked about can appeal to so many different ideas and time zones and characters and, and themes and everything. But I think that this is definitely geared toward a specific crowd. Now, I will say that and be aware that there are some people who are out there that are just like, I want Star Wars to be gritty and dark and like the Dark Knight and I want people to die and I want Darth Vader to murder a bunch of children we, that's my problem with order 66 is we don't see anakin kill enough kids there are fans out there who are definitely like that and i think that this show again never loses sight of still appealing to a younger audience and still having that kind of whiz bang adventure but also having a lot of heart having something to say and there is also a reason for the the mature themes and the mature ideas so this is something that i feel really gets to what the core of a, a George Lucas's maybe um, uh, a certain kind of slice or sector of what his overall Star Wars vision is and really narrows in on that, particularly in regards to some of the political ideas. Um, but the first three episodes of this show, I mostly uh, was just very impressed with kind of the it's 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 almost kind of a different echelon of, of, of television. This doesn't necessarily feel in the same uh, like a neighbor to something like the Mandalorian or something like that. And I don't say that is a bad thing. Uh, this thing just feels wholly itself, wholly unique, but still having those key ingredients that we attribute to Star Wars. But I wanted to ask, we got these first three episodes as opposed to the typical season one or, you know, um, season episode one kind of, uh, uh, you know, premiere that we we typically get with a show like this. Um, we saw it with Obi-Wan Kenobi. They, uh, you know, debut the first two episodes of that show. So we, with this show, we got the first three episodes uh, and they uh, vary from about 35 to about 48 minutes in length. What do you think of this kind of release strategy of getting these first three episodes? Did you finish episode three and be like, oh, I wish we would have just got one or two? Or were you happy that they were delivered in this fashion? Um, I think I could have I could have probably done with uh, the first two. Um, not to say that I'm not grateful for the third, because it's almost a more natural stopping point. Um, but it's a it's a lot to jam in. And this is not just, you know, 
oh, I wish we only would have gotten two episodes because, you know, our podcast episode is going to be really long. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, there's there's a lot to to kind of cram in, especially on a release. Um, we're we're going to be covering a lot of ground in terms of, OK, where did we start? How are we getting to where we're going to end up? Um, I know that there's a lot that is still left to explore, which I'm excited about. I think that these th- first three episodes um, fit really well together in kind of in conjunction, almost like its own arc. Um, and I can see how this can kind of be dissected to say, well, these first three episodes work best together. I can totally see that. I think it's very valid. Um, and I, I honestly don't have any problem with, uh, you know, with the three being released together, even though I know we, we were a little bit, you know, uh, what are they doing? This is a lot of the show to to kind of drop all at once. And how are people going to feel about this? I mean, granted, half of this is that people love to binge watch. And, you know, I love to binge watch. And that's part of the multiple, you know, multiple episode uh, premieres of things nowadays. Um, but you're kind of right. This is not this is a step in the, in the right direction in terms of production quality alone. Um, I even have it down in my notes. This is this is the HBO Max of of the Star Wars Disney Plus shows. Like the the Mandalorian is very much like the Amazon Prime of the Star Wars shows. I think that the Book of Boba Fett is probably closer to Netflix. Um, that's just I, I think that's how that's like how I can imagine it is like would this be on the streaming service? Um, yeah. And. Andor is absolutely on uh, is absolutely on HBO Max. So like kind of looking at these episodes in a more serious way and being able to tell that there's a lot of craft in these um, shows that, you know, like I could sit down and watch a lot of this all at once and see how it's all kind of fitting together. So I'm very, very pleased with the way that it worked out. I was very nervous. And I know that like if we had a lot of trolls in our fan base, uh, in our listeners, they'd be like, Oh, Noah said that he was really, you know, upset about three episodes. And I'm like backtracking on it, but getting ahead of the, getting ahead of the curve here. Uh, yes, I was wrong. I was pleasantly surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the first three episodes obviously is a lot to kind of digest, uh, especially when you're watching them back to back to back and you're trying to curate a podcast episode where you can have fruitful conversations, get into what's maybe important, but also try to balance because we usually go like pretty much event by event, you know, plot point by plot point, talk about the episode and what we think about each kind of narrative choice here. We kind of have to, you know, in the notes that I've written up here, we can't quite do that. We can't talk about every single conversation. We can't talk about, you know, every single beat, but we can kind of talk in the broad strokes of things. However, I think that these first three episodes actually go really well together. And you had already mentioned that I think episode three ends on a very natural stopping place um, to where I think about episodes one and two of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Where does that end? We end with um, Kenobi finding out that Vader is Anakin and Anakin is still alive. What's going to happen after that? That kind of cliffhanger ending and where this ends going into Andor's going on this new chapter, this new adventure that chapter isn't necessarily closed but now something new is kind of started rather than we've already kind of started this thread and you don't get to kind of see the the kind of small conclusion here it does feel like kind of one big beginning middle and sort of end of a story which is how i feel like a lot of great tv does is they have a beginning middle and end 
you know, overall, but within that, there are these smaller sort of chapters that contribute to that overall story. So, you know, as uh, I was very skeptical of that, I was like, wow, that's a quarter of the show. We're like a quarter of the way done now. Um, granted, week from week now, it's going to be episode, you know, just one episode a week, which I think is great. Um, but yeah, that was something for me that uh, I actually was a little bit apprehensive about, but I think in its delivery um, really stuck the landing for me. So let's go ahead and just dive on into what we see here in the episodes. Um, the episode begins with Cassian investigating the disappearance of a missing woman who he claims to be the brother of. I also just wanted to mention up top, I'm not really going to stop and say, okay, that's the end of episode one. I'm just going to kind of treat this as, as one big story. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, there also is some flashbacks that happen in this series. I'm going to kind of hold those off until like the end of sort of our discussion here because I think it mostly ties into what we see at the very um, end of this episode and the way that it's even edited and thematically as well. So I'm going to kind of put a pin in that until the end of our conversation. So So don't yell at us. (laughs) Don't yell at us. Don't tweet at us. Got to finish the episode. Uh, He is, uh, he being Cassian, is kind of essentially traveling through the Star Wars equivalent of the red light district, which something for, I was just like, whoa like you know episode (laughs) one within the first five minutes Cassian like doesn't necessarily interrogate but he's investigating one of the people that he talks to essentially is a sex worker I was like okay wow dude goes to a brothel in the first episode that was just like quite a you know a, a bit of a splash in the face of like okay this is something different this is something new yeah, just gotta kind of strap in wake up yeah. you're watching star wars <laughs> idiot <laughs> yeah Stra- i mean yeah, strap in <laughs> This isn't the first um, allusion that we have to towards um, sex in this episode. There is a scene where we see uh, a woman later on crawl into bed and then the next morning, like putting on her pants, like spending the night with this guy. This is kind of the first time that we've seen like other than children being made and the fact that kids exist and procreation happens in Star Wars. This is kind of the first time that in television, I might add, not in the, you know, in the books, Lords of the Sith, they talk with uh, sex workers, all that kind of stuff. But on television, on the small screen, this is kind of the first time or even the big screen that sex is kind of acknowledged in Star Wars. Like, what was that like for you? Um, well, I'll, I'll say this much. I, I do think that uh, in terms of what we've seen of like, you know, kind of the the seedy parts of Coruscant or, you know, or other areas where it's like, oh, this is the this is the the scary place of town. And this is where all the all the weird and creepy and dirty things happen. Um, This is a very somewhat, (laughs) I think progressive is a weird word, but it's like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? It's, it's like not, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not like overly scandalous, right? Like this isn't like, you know, Jabba's slaves, right? This isn't like, you know, other, other areas of Star Wars that are a bit, you know, scandalous. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think that it's, I mean, obviously it's, it's, very overt um but it is still somewhat like this is classy this is not you know grimy it's not gross it's you know it's getting the point across without being too lavish or too you know uh i guess too kind of overbearing um so doesn't bother me i will say though that you know part of that is just like yeah i have been watching a lot of tv and tv these days is uh, less than appropriate for all ages. Um, and I, like, I, I, part of me wonders like, okay, 
where are we at with Disney Plus as a streaming service and Disney as a brand saying okay to some of these things? Are they kind of labeling this under their like, oh, you have to put in your your parents' four-digit passcode to watch this episode of Andor? Sure. Um, I don't know. I'd have to look into it. But uh, on on all accounts, fine by me, because if we didn't ever acknowledge it, then it'd be a little bit weird. I'm just glad that this isn't like overly sexualized in any way. It's just kind of like, yeah, the point is he's in this, you know, this setting. The, the point is not, you know, bikinis that are laced with gold or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's as far as like, you know, skin being shown and stuff like that. We've seen more. You just mentioned like a, a gold bikini princess Leia. And that is, is wearing a more revealing outfit than what we see in this. And I think, uh, I think, uh, judging by IMDB and what they list this series to be, it says TV 14. I would assume that's kind of like PG 13, which I would also assume the Mandalorian is. So I don't think that this is like any degree more graphic, so to speak than the Mandalorian, which I think is kind of like my key takeaway in a lot of this is sex exists sex exists in the real world the way that it is portrayed here is pretty understated it's yeah. alluded to um it's not we don't see anything graphic we don't see really any nobody's even you know kissing in this or, or touching or anything like that it's just more something of like we kind of know what's going on it's being stated but it's not necessarily being you super explicitly explored i do totally agree and i i um i, I think it's also an interesting idea to bring up that like it is a little mature as far as not um, necessarily mature themes or ideas, but more of like how sex work is portrayed in this, that it is by all accounts, seemingly like a consensual thing. It's a classy place. Like this woman is behaved well, more well behaved than some of the patrons at this bar, which we'll be talking about um, rather than what we see in other corners of the galaxy with like the Twi'leks, like they're part of hum human, like <laughs> right. I, I guess humanoid trafficking, you know, where it's like, it's just a completely different, side of things so to see this be portrayed with a little bit of modesty because it is a, under the Disney umbrella and also still is has that you know kids sensibilities to where this is for 12 you know 12 and 13 year olds that George Lucas intended Star Wars to be I think it is portrayed in a way that feels tasteful for me um, it doesn't feel super graphic and I would say the exact same thing about violence in Star Wars too I don't need Star Wars to be rated R I don't need Star Wars to be super bloody and I don't need you know stormtroopers to be getting you know decapitated and you know blood dripping from their helmets and all this kind of ridiculous horror stuff I, I don't think that that's what Star Wars is to me and I think the same is is true for sex in here so I'm glad it's acknowledged and I think it's done so in a mature way and in a way that uh, fits the story and fits this kind of it, not just not just the universe of Star Wars, the galaxy of Star Wars, but this kind of like micro story here, yes. you know, this kind of micro uh, and or, you know, kind of uh, world here, because as I said, this is kind of a unique flavor. And I think that this kind of um, ideas and locations, I think, totally fit in. Right. And with kind of the setting of this, uh, like you had said, Andor is searching for someone that he claims is his sister. Yeah. This goes into the themes that is, you know, it's something you can't really avoid is, you know, when we get into the show and we'll get into talking about the episode a little bit, um, having, having things that, that deal with, you know, essentially immigration, right. Yeah. Um, and trying to, you know, hide certain parts of your past to get past law enforcement, you know, agencies, whether it's mm -hmm. here, the empire or even other smaller agencies, 
um, you know, and his sister is, you know, at least he knows something about his sister having been working at this place. That's that kind of thing is not too far off from from real tragedies that happen in the real world is in order to make your way if you're running away from, you know, from certain things or you're, you know, trying to live your best life, but you're also needing to make money and survive. What kind of things do you turn to? This is just a real world thing. And, sure. you know, that's not I, I do think that, you know, maybe if we do get any kind of conclusion to this investigation, then we'll maybe get some kind of um, allusion to that or at least some some clarity on what that might have been like, because I'm sure that that was, you know, that's probably a huge thing. Um, so we'll see. But at least there it's kind of a subtle like, yeah, no, this fits into the themes that we're going for here. I think that it totally works. Yeah. And we never really find out why Cassian, you know, is looking for his sister, at least now, you know, like as opposed to like he's older. We see flashbacks, as I had mentioned, where he's younger, probably 13, I would say, maybe 13 or 14 or right. something like that. Why is he now looking for his sister as opposed to beforehand? We never really get any clues to that or how he found this location. But after this um, and getting the information that he needs, um, he is followed by two security officers who also were patrons at this club who felt that Cassian wasn't showing them kind of the the respect that they fit, uh, felt that they deserved. Now, Noah, this is kind of the first uh, example of the show portraying men in positions of power who feel that they are deserving of a little bit of respect and who really do wield the 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 power and the influence, however small over people. So I just want to kind of put a pin in that and we'll get back to it a little <laughs> bit later because that's not the only example that mm -hmm. that uh, happens uh, in this show. So um, a fight ensues between Cassian and these two men where Cassian quickly incapacitates one of them, accidentally killing one of these officers. Um, it's mentioned er uh, earlier on that these guys are like not quite police officers. They're like security officers, but they work for a corporation which oversees this area, which is Definitely in line with, you know, some of the organizations at play in the uh, the prequels and the you know banking clans and the the trade federation and all of these other kind of powers that be. These guys are kind of like described as I believe wannabe police officers, but mm -hmm. um, they kind of overstep their boundaries in a way. Go after Cassian, get in a little bit over their head. One of them ends up dead, uh, and the other one who witnessed this uh, crime also ends up dead because Cassian kind of kills them uh, in cold blood. Um, what did you think about this moment from Cassian uh, and the fact that both times that we've been introduced <laughs> to this guy uh, in different mediums, he just straight up, mur straight up murders somebody within the first five minutes. I, I hate to be the guy that's like, when that happened, I was like, Oh yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like I didn't, I like thought of it and then I was like, Oh no, I'm a film bro. Oh no. I'm, I'm taxi driver lover one, three, four. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> like it, it happened. And I was just like, this is exactly what I wanted to see. This is exactly where I wanted to start. And it's crazy. And you don't like, you don't love Cassian for the fact that he just absolutely domed this guy because he can't have any witnesses. You like, I, I was enamored with the fact that like every choice from then on is like this self-preservation, but also guilt and fear 
um, it's a very real place to start. And we talked about this a lot of like, okay, so in Rogue One, he kills a guy. Um, and the description is sort of, well, he's lower than he was at Rogue One. He hasn't quite gotten to this this point in his life yet. He's at a he's at a lower place, closer to rock bottom. And so I was kind of thinking, I was like, okay, where like where does that put him, right? That was kind of the thought. Um, and this almost to me feels like the first time that he has maybe like been faced with a decision like this. Um, or at least that's how I can kind of see it. Now I will say based on some information that we get a little bit later in the show. Um, I don't think this is his first time around that sort of thing. Um, but I do think that this plays as like, he's never had to make a decision like that before. And this is a really bad decision that he's gotten himself tangled up in. Um, and that kind of influences his choices from then on out. So I think that having a character that yes, does something badass, uh, and it's, you know, it's shot really cool. It's raining. The music is really intense. Uh, yeah, he's not doing okay. Like he's really emotionally struggling with it. Let's just, mm -hmm. let's just put a real person on the screen for a second and not be, you know, and not be Patrick Bateman in Star Wars. Can we do that? I think that that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think also it's, in, it's important to, to recognize that like one, lots of death happens in Star Wars. Lots of our heroes kill people, but I think that's a context here that matters in that, yes, when we heard about Cassian in this show and it proves to be true here in the portrayal of Cassian as opposed to his initial kind of introduction in Rogue One, he is at a place right now to where it's completely self-preservation. He is not a part of a cause yet um, and isn't doing things that he might not believe in, but he's doing it in the name of something that he kind of perceives to be the greater good. Um, something that we're going to be talking about a lot here is Cassian's agency in that this kind of in this this choice that he makes here is kind of the only choice that we see him make throughout the entire show. A lot of the other choices that we see him make in these first three episodes are things that he does as a reaction to other things happening to him. And I would say even you could make a case that that is still true with this, that he is, you know, uh, he is kind of harassed by these two guys. He didn't ask for any trouble. They kind of come after him. But in defending himself, he accidentally kills somebody and then he has to kind of, you know, finish the job. He has to uh, kind of clean up this mess. And because of that, it kind of leads to this domino effect. Um, and I think that Cassian is a character that initially has, yeah, been proven to just be kind of just trying to survive, trying to trying to skate by, but doesn't really feel like he belongs to anything in particular. Um, we'll talk about kind of the the other people in his life, where he's at, how he's kind of viewed as his friends and kind of what he's done. But I think Cassian at this time is as at a place to where he is untethered, um, unmotivated, uh, and doesn't really feel like maybe he belongs to anything. So I think that this is a kill that, yeah, feels dark and feels brutal and maybe feels like wow that's kind of a unique flavor of star wars to see some one a hero of ours a titular character nonetheless kill somebody in cold blood while they're like literally pleading for their lives um but i think it's something that uh is directly relevant to this to his journey that he's going to be going on it's not celebrated in the show it's not seen as like a cool thing um it's something that does kind of bother him and haunt him and also has dire consequences which is the inside incident of this entire show so um yeah i feel like it's something that 
you know, is is understandable to to want to see heroes do quote unquote kind of like cool things. But I think that this doesn't really treat it as a cool thing. It's like, yeah, he murdered this guy. Like he's, you know, this guy was literally on his knees pleading for his life, an unarmed guy. And he just straight up killed them. So I think it's a classic star Wars idea that choices have consequences. And what are those consequences? Well, we, you know, see just that in these three episodes, right? It's, it's something that's going to, you know, obviously we see that it, has ramifications, but I think that that choice in particular, um, being faced with a choice like that is hopefully going to come back, um, as sort of a recurring, you know, being faced with something, uh, similar to that. Um, and what do you do after you've, after you've hopefully learned the lessons that, you know, episodes four or five and six and so on taught you, you know, uh, that's just kind of how these things work. At least I hope I have faith in the writing so far. So, yeah. Um, and we also learned that these two officers, as I had mentioned that Cassian had killed were um, called the, they're, I believe they're called corpos, which I, I think stands for corporate officers. Again, they're not really police officers. They are security forces, um, under this corporation who is seemingly under the empire, um, right. and sort is of like co-opted, this, yes, like yeah, a co-opted this, like, law enforcement. Yeah, they are in charge of their jurisdiction, but they do ultimately report to the Empire. Um, we we see uh, Corporal Karn, um, who is kind of the main villain of the show that we see, or at least one of the main antagonists, um, who is having a meeting with a superior of his who instructs him to kind of let this go. You know, like the, these officers that were murdered were breaking numerous rules um, and they shouldn't have been where they were. Uh, and even their the superior kind of assumes that they messed with the wrong person and that they were probably you know, essentially, for lack of better words, kind of had it come in. Yeah. Um, so we this is here where we meet Corporal Karn. What did you think about his introduction? Because I personally felt from the get go, I was like, oh, this guy is fascinating. So I kind of want to hear what you think of Corporal Karn. So I have um, I have in my notes, I'll just read for you word for word. Um, <clears throat> Deputy Inspector might be my new favorite Star Wars character. <laughs> That's what I have in my notes. Uh, yeah, because. Oh my God. I am like, I am fascinated is a, is a great word. I think that this is something that we don't see a whole lot in star Wars is a very, very specific kind of character with clear motives, you know, immediately from the get go, clear motives, clear demeanor. Um, and we learn a lot more about his character by the end of episode three, but even still you kind of get the idea and you, you get an idea of the, the threat that he poses or doesn't pose or the, you know, the lengths that he is or isn't willing to go to, to accomplish certain things. Um, I am totally in love with this character. I don't know what it is, but I was just like, yep, love it here for it. I don't like, I don't want anything else. I don't want anyone else to be on screen ever. Uh, just this guy all the time. Yeah. This character really from their introduction, I felt like we learned so much from them. Um, and also the performance as well, but you know, we learned that his, his uniform has been tailored to be, not only more functional, like he adds a few pockets, I think he says, but he also made it a little bit more form fitting. He like tailored it to be a little bit, um, you know, 
more snug, a little bit, uh, a little bit nicer rather than, you know, what his superior is wearing, which is like a little baggier. It seems just kind of like off the rack, sort of your size, whatever, whatever. This is close enough. Here you go to where his is. He seems to take pride over this position. I'm, I'm struggling to so, remember. So you're go saying ahead. he's, a, you're saying he's a, he's a proud boy. Is that like, <laughs> is that what you're, is that what you're implying or like, should I be looking at it this way at all? Does that, is that tracking? I mean, yeah, I think you should. The <laughs> fact that uh, there are police officers, quote, you know, quote unquote, police officers yep. who are not just that, but also work for a corporation. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, wow. Like the writing team, as far as being political, is like really killing two birds with one stone here. <laughs> Maybe like, three or four. I mean, yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. A couple of others that we could mention uh, definitely as well. But yeah, the, as far as the politics, it's, it's, you know, it's it's right there, you know. It's uh, I'm curious to see if people are going to be picking up on that one because I've been surprised before. I'm like, you guys didn't think Watchmen was political, okay? <laughs> whatever, you know. So uh, maybe that that one will go under the rug here. But yeah, the the police officer who works for the big corporation. We I feel like we learn um, a lot about them in this introduction. But um, I'm struggling to remember. I believe it's Resistance Reborn. I could be wrong, and I probably am. But there is like a B plot in that story where we follow this imperial kind of pencil pusher who reports under this guy that he does not like, feels like they're incompetent, but does their job to like the best ability that they can. Um, and it just reminds me of this sort of attitude with the empire and just kind of dark side in general that I am more qualified for their position than my superior is, and I can usurp them for it, and I, I'm more deserving of this. Look how great I'm doing. I have such a, you know, uh, an attention to detail, and my duty is what's important, my loyalty to the empire. Um, this guy doesn't work for the empire, but he might as well, and he probably wants to. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like a lot of the, the uh, corpos that we meet in this uh, uh, first few episodes here they all seem like the kind of guys that would either be stormtroopers uh, or imperial officers that would one day get choked out by Darth Vader. You know, well, like these yeah. guys who would like just tooth and nail to get these imperial officer positions. They're working under the Dark Lord of the Sith themselves, and he just is like, you know, just snaps their neck. Like he seems like these yes. all <laughs> seem like those types of guys to me. Um, and to see him have such you know, uh, care about the small power that he has and feels like it's his real duty to just flex that, uh, authority that he has on others. I felt just like said so much about this character just from the first few moments and lines with them. Yeah. I'm really curious about, you kind of mentioned like, yeah, these people probably want to be a part of the Imperial army. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering like, why aren't they right like that, it was a legitimate question that I had. And I don't think that like not having an answer right now, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I have like some sneaking suspicions. Um, there's obviously some foul play going on within their ranks, yeah. um, whether it's their treatment of civilians or even whether or not they are cut out for certain things. Um, so I think there's a lot of interesting stuff 
to well, kind of pick I, I, up there. I, we can definitely talk about that because I'll, I'll bring it up when we are kind of talking yeah, about don't the planet. Don't let me forget. Don't let uh, me forget. No, I, I've got it down in my notes because I think it's related to uh, the planet of Ferrix and like the citizens of that mm-hmm. um, and kind of their relationship and, you know, how it all relates to the yeah. Empire. So we will be getting to that very, very soon. Quick tangent. That is the most frustrating thing about three episodes is mm-hmm. there's so much there that I'm like, oh, and this goes back to this and this actually, if you like jump forward a little bit, it'll go to this. There's so yeah. much there that I'm like, ah, it's really hard to do this sequentially because it does all really weave together really well. Anyways, yeah. let's just keep chomping going. at the bit, just yeah. chomping at the bit. Um, after this, we uh, kind of reunite with Cassian, who is back on this home planet of Ferrix, and it is here that we really get to get a nice portrait of who are the people in his lives or in his life, and what is their perception of Cassian? Kind of how is their attitude toward him? Their seemingly shared history with him, and it's here that we meet a lot of the people that Cassian um, has in his life, including his friend Bix. Um, who he tells that he has a piece of stolen equipment um, and that she needs to contact a secret buyer um, that it, she has a, a contact with so he can flee the planet until kind of the suspicion, kind of the heat dies down a little bit. So, no, I want to talk about kind of what do you feel like Cassian's place is on Ferrix now? Um, and again, we'll get to the Empire stuff, but just as far as like his sort of interpersonal relationship here and where we see him at this time, kind of what does that tell you about the his character at this point in time? Um, he's he's a straight up hustler. Uh, he is like very much. He very much reminds me of Oscar from Shark Tale, uh, Will Smith's <laughs> character. Who he, like he mentions that he like owes a lot of people money, and yeah. like he gets shaken down uh, by this guy and an awesome alien named uh, Vetch. <laughs> And yes, it's so like good. the coolest so thing. Good. It's just like the it's just so sweet. Um, so great. But yeah. like it, a, it's, new gl- a new glup shadow for sure. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. Like I don't yeah. even I don't even care about the dinosaur guy in Obi-Wan Kenobi anymore. <laughs> oh no, don't you say that. Don't you I say just want that. my vetch figure and he just stands <laughs> oh, there. I want uh, those two two good boys on my desk, yeah. please. <laughs> so I like I see him very much as like this hustler guy who, you know, he he says straight up he owes a lot of people money. And, you know, there are people that are looking for him all the time, kind of, you know, wanting certain things from him. It's one of these like weird kind of like you go along with it storylines where like he knows everybody in town and like everybody knows him and he knows how to get everything that he needs. He knows like what people to talk to about stuff. You just go on a slew of him meeting all of these people that are like, running a hot dog stand, but also they have, you know, a secret comms tower in the back and, you know, stuff like that. It's just a really cool picture of like, uh, you know, I was watching this and, um, my wife came in, uh, at one point to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm going out, I'm going to target. And she was like, so what's, what's going on? Like, explain it to me. And I was like, this is not for the casual star Wars fan. Like they are jumping in, assuming that you can track kind of the social aspect of all of these interactions in a Star Wars themed like skin and language and everything. But realistically, it's kind of just this like, I don't know, I feel I feel like it's a little bit reductive to say like, like a gang territory, but it functions very much like a ghetto where Cassian is kind of, you know, he's a part of all these different, you know, 
all these different businesses and side hustles and things like that and knows all these connections and everything. And then you just slap a Star Wars skin on it and that's where it kind of drops you. And I feel like that that's a great place to start a story to say we are confident in our world that we have built here, our little microcosm inside of Star Wars. You're either on the train or you forgot to buy your ticket and now you're stuck at the station. So... Yeah, I, I, I'm really, really enjoying the way that it kind of sets up the interaction in this tiny little town that feels, you know, we get it, we get a, a larger shot of the place and it's like a huge city. Um, but we get this really deeper kind of like almost like in the Heights esque kind of, uh, you know, interaction between all of these citizens of the town. I love it. I'm loving it. Yeah, I, I mean, as far as like being for like the casual Star Wars fan, I, I guess it's it's hard for me to tell because like I I can't remove my Star Wars like <laughs> knowledge or context from my own mind, so I don't know if if you know if the so so called casual fans would even be interested in something like this, let alone like tracking. So I guess that remains to be seen for sure. But you're right, they do use a lot of Star Wars lingo and just the simple thing of like a com, like what's a com, you know? Mm-hmm. He like uh, you know Cassian has the spe- uh, specific peak, uh, uh, excuse me, specific piece of tech that. That is, although not something that like, you know, is, is terribly common in Star Wars. Um, I still think it requires like a little bit of knowledge to be at least aware of like the kinds of things that are being talked about here. So yeah, I guess as far as like how other fans, uh, you know, in varying degrees of knowledge of Star Wars are able to engage with this, I guess that remains to be seen. But yeah, I think with what we see on Ferrix and Cassian and, and, and kind of the people that he interacts with it, it you're right. It is a sense of small town, but he knows everybody and everybody has engaged with him for better or worse. Um, we learn that he, uh, owes a lot of different people money, knows a lot of different people, owes some favors to some people. Some people owe him favors, but I also love that there is kind of this, as you kind of described as like a side hustle thing going on to where at least there's like a front of, I have this business, but if you say the right words in the right order, I've also got this other thing going on that, you know, is kind of under the nose of what, of what's happening here. Uh, and I think that that can transition nicely into our discussion of the empire, because I think that the, with what we see here in, in Cassian and his relationship with others, I think it's a kind of a selfish place. How can these people help me? You know, what can I, I do to kind of, uh, get, you know, get going, get going to where I need to go and kind of remove myself from the situation. But I think in all of this and exploring this, it is kind of this nice picture of how the people of Ferrex relate to the corpos and how the corpos relate to the empire. Because in the, in the, uh, the meeting that we see between Karn, uh, and his, uh, superior, his superior is kind of like, there's there's something along the lines of, you know, these meetings kind of the, the hope is that these meetings based on crime rates are going to be brief, meaning that there's not that much crime that needs to be discussed here, meaning the empire doesn't need to have much oversight, meaning the empire doesn't need to come to these planets and kind of do our job for us. So as long as things are under control here, it's fine. And it really feels like that's the same relationship that the corpos have with the people of Ferrix is you can go in and you can do your job and you can clock in 
in and out. And as long as you're kind of getting the work done that needs to be done, you know, and, and we don't know about these other things happening here, it's fine. The people of Ferrick seem to be okay with the fact that, you know, this guy has this business on the front, but on the side, he's a smuggler, you know, and he's, he can get Cassian out of the planet for a price and, and have nobody know about it. So I really feel like there is kind of this overreaching with with Karn here and his investigation of everything you know he has this duty to yes his his uh position but I think it's like to himself and this just kind of overall idea of duty and justice you know he he really wants to kind of hold this position hold the power that he has but figure out who who killed these these you know maybe not even like friends like i we don't really get an idea that he knows who these people are it might just be they killed officers so we have to go in and and you know do our due diligence and and you know serve justice where it needs to be served even though he like there's this idea of um yeah, when when he talks to his kind of superiors versus to where he talks to the people under him, you know, like he's standing up straight talking to his superior and and yes sir, no sir, all that kind of stuff. But then the moment that he talks to people who are under him, he's like, let's go, like yelling at them and all this kind of stuff. So there is kind of this he's listening to his superiors, but also like going behind their back and investigating this thing that he shouldn't be investigating. So yeah, I think that there really is kind of this overreaching that that Karn is doing now which eventually you had asked why you don't think that these people are with the empire i think will attract the attention of the empire who are going to be introduced later in this show and because the checks and balances weren't quite there now the empire is is here and getting involved which is something that i think everybody including the superior above Karn was like specifically trying to avoid yes and i i am very excited for that relationship once we get there um it's very you know it, it's very like hux and kylo ren um yeah. that idea that's just like no I'm, I'm doing my job and i'm trying to do it to the best of my ability and you'll just you know the, the guy that's taller than you the guy that's higher up than you will literally just push you over and kick you in the gut you know I, i'm very excited for that relationship only because this character like we said we already can kind of get a sense of what he's about um, and you so badly want to see him get put in his place of like, no man, you are just really reaching here. Um, so very, very excited for that. I also do like kind of the, the, it's, it's weird because you don't, you don't see this character as like, oh, well, he's a rule follower. He's, you know, he takes a direct order and doesn't question it because like you said, he was told yeah. to stop the investigation um but you can very clearly tell he's like no this is this is the job that i you know signed up for and my duty is to my duty is to the duty like capital d you know yeah um so that's i, I don't know it's very very cool i'm really i'm just like I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I also really enjoyed spending time with kind of the people of, of Ferrex is like, we're not just spending time with Cassian. Like we're seeing other people's lives, what they go to work for. There's this interesting, you know, kind of a shot of like all of these different like work gloves on the wall, you know, and these people are like, you know, clocking in and out of work and what do they do for a job? And you're meeting these other people who, like I said, have this business front and then kind of this other thing going on. So I just really liked spending time on the planet of Ferrix. I thought it was really yes. cool. Yeah. I think all the citizens, especially like you said, kind of the shot with all the, the working gloves. It's interesting because you see something like that. That's 
that's supposed to look very unified and uniform and, you know, part of this thing that's like a mundane, you know, everybody just, everybody works in the salt mine, you know, it's one of those type things, but it's not because all the gloves are colored different. They all, you know, and I, I thought of it and kind of answered my own question. I was like, why would they be colored different? If like, you're going to hang them up on this communal wall, do you just like, Ooh, I want the red ones today. But then you kind of see, you see everybody go and get theirs and like everyone's set of gloves has their place and they all look slightly different, even though like, you know, it's all the same job, but they all kind of work together in this, you know, I'll say it diverse set of, of citizens. It's really, I think those little things are very intentional. I think that, you know, there's things to point at there that say, Hey, we're not just going to talk about this theme when it's important or pertinent. I don't know. I, maybe that's, maybe that's reaching a little bit talking about colors and whatnot, but I, I do think that watching this as somewhat of a somewhat of a social experiment for someone like me who has been lucky enough to not be you know to not live in a in a scenario like this where this is somewhat reflective of the real world and you know i would like to understand what that's like coming from people that are you know, not only producing writing or whatever but also acting in this it's a very diverse cast so i think that those things are intentional i think it goes to show a lot about the people of ferrick uh, like right as we get going, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely real world applications happening here. Um, the, the entire police office, uh, police officer idea of having this, this small sense of power and responsibility, but it's about how you wield that and who you're using to kind of demonstrate your power over and kind of flex that over and why you're doing so. We don't really know too much um, about Karn other than his sense of kind of duty. Um, but what, you know, led him to, to have that idea and, and have that very sense of duty, um, I think is something that will be explored more into maybe what are really his motivations. But you know, I, I just really like spending time with all the people of Ferrix and to seeing the the day in and day out of everybody. We also get like to see that weird, I think his name is like the Time Grappler. Yes. He's literally just a guy in like this bell tower who's just got this big metal slab and he's just like pounding away. He does this really funny thing with the second time we see him. I think it's like kind of the, you know, time to clock out, you know, it's five o'clock and he's just, he kind of just like... He just kind of like sets into it. Like I just, I thought it was really cool. It's just stuff like that that I'm like, yeah, that's that's weird Star Wars stuff. (laughs) I think that that's a super cool thing because even that that guy that's like he's this grimy looking guy that is just banging a piece of metal. He has like this form and this like this way of doing it that's so like clean and professional. Like this guy was born to do this job. He like takes it very seriously. It's so interesting. That's just like, how do you want to portray this, this random character? This, I mean, he's not really a glup but like, how yeah, do kind of kind of is, but you know, actually, you know what? Mark my words, he's not a glove shadow. He's gonna absolutely smoke somebody over the head with one of those mallets. Oh man! Later Hell episode, yeah. you're gonna see it. I'm calling it right here, right now. I'll um, I, I, it's, it's interesting that they're like, okay, he's not like, he's not just the lazy guy that comes up and does the clock tower. He like has like a routine and a practice, and it's very much a part of the community. It's yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, um, we also get to uh, meet Tim, 
lamest Star Wars name. It's got to be. <laughs> Poor guy. It's got um, two M's. It's got two M's. I had, so, I had yes. subtitles on. <laughs> so it's, it's sci-fi. Uh, but Tim is the friend slash lover slash, you know, situationship with Bix, um, who Tim becomes envious of the seemingly sort of history between Bix and Cassian. He's the um, ultimate cuck. That's what he is. Well, it's mentioned later on that, like, you know, Cassian and Bix maybe had some uh, had a past together uh, at one point. So Tim uh, becomes envious of that, sees this Imperial Bulletin um, that matches the description of Cassian, um, and he and kind of goes to a space telephone goes yeah. to us you know uh, literally goes to like a, a star wars equivalent of a payphone uh and and rats on cassian um and uh you know is 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 kind of the reason that this whole thing happens because he is uh envious of everything which leads you know uh, uh karn to go on to this mission um uh, to uh Ferex, uh with the help of sergeant linus mosk um <laughs> who is this big burly scottish man with even bigger and burly or sideburns um, who proposes that they de- uh, deploy three separate units of uh, four men each to Ferrix, um, including Karn himself to uh, boost morale. Um, Noah Sergeant Mosk is great. Excellent. Character. <laughs> He's a character is what he is. I went and I like rewinded uh, when I was watching it, I rewinded his like introduction because I almost I almost choked on my beefy five layer burrito. I tell you right now, he like when <laughs> the first line that he has, he like kind of like screams it. And it's so funny. It's hilarious. Cause he's like so dead serious about this job. And it's really interesting. He's such a, like he's the same sort of character that like really takes this seriously, but you can kind of tell that it's not a like no this is the this is my duty it's it's more of a no i'm i'm justice i'm vengeance right he's more of yeah. he's clearly more of the aggressive wannabe po- you know wannabe cop rather than the boy scout wannabe cop um so really interesting character but um his first line made me crack the heck up oh man i like want to go back and watch it right now <laughs> Yeah, uh, we get this line from him uh, of him saying that the best way to keep a blade sharp is to use it. Um, so he definitely feels like he kind of is going out there looking for trouble, which is also wrong. Um, <laughs> that's also not true. I think that's true. I'm pretty no, sure that's true I, with sharp with knives. Like the more you use it, the sharper it gets. I think imagine this, right? You're like you're cutting tomatoes and you're like, oh, I don't want. I don't want my chef's knife to get any duller. So you whack it on the corner of a table and then you're like, okay, that's better. That's like, it's, you're, you're kind of right. Like, yes. Like the more that you use a blade, like it's, you're not supposed to dull a blade, but that's just what ends up happening. The more you use a blade, the duller it gets, but it's kind of this backwards mentality of like, you kind of have it right. But also like, you know, maybe only use the blade when you need to, <laughs> you know, that's, I, that's like what it's setting up, you know? Yeah. The, maybe he should have said the blade stays sharp when you use it, when you need to, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that honestly rolls right off the tongue. I don't know so, why that wasn't written in. 
Yeah, a little wordy, but I really liked that, you know, in order to take down this one guy that they shouldn't be taking down, they, you know, use three separate, you know, uh, units with four men. So I think it's including uh, uh, Mosk and Karn. I believe it's 14, so it's like 12 to 14 guys. Yeah. Um, also, the, the transport that they use, which has like the... It, look, it looks like a skull, you know, it's got like these, like where the teeth would be with your skull. It has like different pods that like deploy from the ship. It's like masters of the universe kind of stuff. I just thought it was, was really wild, but yeah, they, they, you know, deployed a Ferrex to try to find, uh, to the, you know, Cassian, they, there's even a bit where he's like, I know it's an old photo, but you got to find this guy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, uh, don't underestimate him. <laughs> it's really, it's really funny. Cause they're, it's almost like they don't, they don't like know who they're actually looking for. They know nothing about yeah. this guy. They're like, he's probably armed. He's gonna come out swinging. Like you have yeah. no idea who you're messing with. And he probably doesn't even look like this anymore. So yeah. really be vigilant. <laughs> Yeah, and little uh, little do they know that Luthen, uh, who is the contact interested in buying the stolen equipment, arrives, um, attempting to find Cassian before the Corpos do. Um, they meet up at a factory where Cassian gives the Starpath unit to Luthen, um, who suggests that Andor is either an Imperial spy or a thief, him, a thief himself. Um, Cassian retorts, and he says, I went in and got this myself. Um, Luthen is pretty skeptical that he was able to do such a thing, even pays him to find out how he was able to do it, to which Andor replies. He says, you just walk in like you belong. Uh, they're so fat and satisfied. They can't imagine someone like me would ever get inside their house. Um, this was a trailer line. You and I have already kind of talked about this, but this idea that that's like a very Empire thing, um, obviously kind of foreshadowing what we see with his character and underestimating the rebellion and that they're even able to take down the Death Star in the first place. That's like a big Tarkin, you know, you overestimate their chances kind of energy to me. So I still like that line, um, even in the context of the show. Yeah, that's the thing. Having heard it in every trailer and every Instagram advertisement and every TV spot, it's still like, it still hits. And I think that it hits really well, even especially with the context of uh, you know, deputy deputy investigator Karn, like chasing them, like actively chasing him down, uh, and you know, not being able to to you know get a grasp on this guy. He keeps eluding, you know, eluding them, and and well, not you know, not for an extended period of time, but more so, just he's trying to catch this guy, and nobody wants to help him out, or they you know he doesn't really know the city, so they're like trying to get information, they're trying to find him, and nobody's going to give up Cassian. So it's, you know, it, it's interesting in the context, um, especially knowing that, you know, Luthen has a little bit more to him that will obviously learn um, almost as if he's like trying to learn a lesson from Cassian of like, okay, maybe you can do some real, me, me and you can do some real damage to the empire, which I think is very cool. Um, yeah. It's still a line that I, that I really love, uh, especially here. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Luthen uh, himself even comments on the Empire's ignorance uh, and suggests that uh, these days will end. 
Um, he says that if they were to be caught with the Starpath unit, he'd be lynched in the square by the Empire the same way that they hung Cassian's father. Dun, dun, dun. Um, Cassian then pulls a gun and demands to know how Luthan knows such things, uh, but then calmly says at gunpoint that he came to this meeting looking for something more, and I think I found it. So yeah, Luthan seems to have um, some ulterior motives and def- definitely some things lingering under the surface rather than just being a purveyor of stolen goods and, and you know... Uh, desirable artifacts or something like that. There's definitely something kind of deeper brewing under the surface. Um, we can assume, but we don't quite know. So I'm excited to uh, learn more as, uh, about that. So um, while Luthen and Cassian are having this meeting, uh, the corpos are kind of banging on the door. Um, we also see the citizens of uh, Ferrix uh, who are kind of mourning the loss of some of their friends as they're this big, huge battle gunfight explosions kind of uh, spew out here. This is really the first kind of you know bout of serious conflict that we see in the show um what did you think about some of the action in this did you have any favorite moments or uh any things that stand out to you in this uh, big action set piece um i think that the uh the explosion of this of the speeder the second explosion of the speeder that uh andor and luthan have sorry i have to refer to him as ander now um, Cassian ander. <laughs> yeah now that now that luthan's been introduced uh, he's only Cassian ander um I, I really like the explosion that they rigged uh, for the for the bait speeder, um, only because it's not something that's a, that that's like a huge set piece moment. It happens as like an almost an afterthought in the way that it's shot. Um, that it's like, oh man, that was a you know that was a real doozy. We almost got hit by that speeder. Whoa! And then they blow up. Um, mm-hmm. Very cool because it's you know you kind of get that that hinting towards that um, and the aftermath of that is incredible again really loving the actual character moments on screen you know how would how would a pencil pusher react to being feet away from an explosion where some of your men have just been absolutely dismembered um so really good moment there um i think that all in all like the action isn't just it isn't just whiz bang kind of you know fast paced whatever um, it is better action than I feel like has been done in some kind of close quarters scenes uh, in some of the other Star Wars shows. I love the book of Boba Fett for all that it's worth, but some of the action leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, I think that this is, I mean, obviously at the behest of of Tony Gilroy in kind of that that mood of how to do an action set piece that has to be somewhat small, but also, you know, have larger ramifications. How do you make it feel big um, when it's on a smaller scale? I think that it works really well. Um, so there's a lot of that. The, the difficult thing with the action here is that it's not just action. It is intercut with uh, these, you know, citizens are getting gunned down and these corporate officers uh are overstepping their bounds and they are inflicting the lives of these citizens so it's hard to separate it and i i'm i am curious to get some people's you know some of the internet's reactions as to like oh this is so cool this is you know this is real real big action stuff and you know we're that is so intermixed with the real character moments that i'm interested to see what people can glean from that because I think that all of it has a lot of meaning. Yeah. I really, I really like the setting um, of the, the, 
the shootout that we see with Cassian uh, in particular to where it's in this factory, but there are things like hanging above the ceiling um, machinery parts of some sort that are like falling down, which creates like another layer of danger for our, our heroes to avoid here. Um, but it leads to this great sequence to where we see this, um, uh, I guess the speeder like, you know, drive by all of the, the corpos begin to fire on it. It explodes. They, um, feel like they, they, they finally got the, the person that they were looking for. Um, everybody is like, yeah, we got him. And then, you know, the speeder, you know, with, with Cassian actually on it, you know, speeds by and the, the transport actually explodes, killing like a lot of the corpos. Um, and then after this, we get just a great moment. And I want to applaud, um, actor Kyle Soller who, who portrays, um, the, uh, the, you know, the lead antagonist that we're seeing in the show corporal karn i really hope we get to spend a lot of time with them but in this moment he's just really terrific he has like this great like thousand yard stare to where you're able to like really put on a bunch of different emotions onto him as far as like what is his reaction to this yes it's probably shock if i just saw more of my men die right in front of me this is like all new to me but also there's like a level of anger there uh, a level of also like sadness as far as like am i responsible for this i was supposed to just like let it go but now i didn't and because of that people are dead um so there's a like just a really terrific uh, performance um on that front but yeah also just like a lot of great moments a lot of great action just shot really well super super tense um there's that cool uh, that moment where the transport is like flying away and there's the cable that is attached to it and it like whips into the side of the structure. Um, yeah, just all really terrific, you know, Star Wars um, action adventure, but it's all really character driven um, and uh, really communicates a lot about kind of the, the headspace of these characters at this time. So yeah. for being kind of like the first real action set piece that comes at the end of episode three, I felt like it really boils over uh, in, uh, in a really terrific um, but also really satisfying way. That's I think that that's the thing that some of the action from uh, yeah a couple of the Star Wars shows that we have gotten or a couple specific um, scenes or moments or whatever it might be. I think that that's what some of those things have been missing is that it feels very much like this is action for action's sake. Um, and you know, as much as people rag on it, I think that the like the final shootout in the book of Boba Fett has a lot of good moments in it. There are some falters. Um, I think the the bit with the rancor is like great. And there's also like another layer to it. Right. Um, so we, we've gotten some of that. A lot of it has been, you know, just the coolness for coolness sake. Um, but like you said, like a lot of it has that, that meaning to it attached to it. I think that some of the best action in star Wars, um, is, you know, is consequence driven and it's very, you know, this leads to that leads to that, but it's also keeping you on your toes as an audience member of like, I, you know, I didn't realize they were going to rig up a bunch of scrap metal to this transport because it's like, you know, these are cops and we're protecting our town and, and they're, you know, coming and stepping all over us. So, there's that, you know, and, uh, even before that with, you know, all of the citizens kind of doing this, this code of banging on their, on their metal that they have hanging outside of their houses to alert everybody else to get out of the way to, you know, stay safe and that sort of thing. I, I love, I love that moment a lot because the corpos are like, what are they doing? What, like, what's going on? And, one of them, I think it's the sergeant says like, oh, they're just trying to intimidate us. Right. 
Yeah. I, right. I think that that is so hilariously misread um, that it's like, yeah, like, of course they would say that because they view them as a threat. You know, they, the corpos view the citizens as a threat for no reason. And they're not trying to intimidate them. It's more of a banding together type thing of we all, we all are trying to stay safe. Um, so, you know, those bits that are injected to it of like, I, you know, I barely even know what I'm looking at right now. I'm like learning all of these different ways that, that we can tell a story through an action set piece without just being, everybody's got a gun and there's, everything's blowing up and nobody is affected by it at all Mm -hmm. is, you know, a lot of, a lot of franchises, Star Wars included can be guilty of that sort of thing. But here I think it's very different. It's very, it's very poignant, I think is the word of the day. Yeah, I think that it's it's for sure a case by case basis, but I, I definitely will agree that I I think that this show in particular really emphasizes this idea of choice and how these actions lead to something else and these actions have consequences. Um, I really do feel that like because of what we see transpire in this episode, that is going to negatively affect things. The same we uh, the same reason that you know. Uh, just an example, the first, you know, scene in the introduction of Cassie and at the beginning of Rogue One of him killing that informant doesn't necessarily have direct consequences. It's more of like a moral consequence of Cassian to where this has tangible consequences. And I think them attacking, attacking the corpos and and fleeing this uh, planet are going to have even more tangible consequences. So I'm excited to really see um, where those eventually lead and Cassian to also understand um, kind of how that affects him going forward, which is a pretty uh, good segue into talking about a lot of the flashbacks that we see in this, because in these three episodes, there are flashbacks that are sprinkled throughout them um we see that cassian uh a young cassian uh is is on this planet of canari he's part of this tribe um we see him and this tribe witness a republic vessel explode uh overhead then crashing on the horizon uh young cassa uh, who is he is referred to as cassa as opposed to cassian um insists on joining the other kids in this journey despite meeting some opposition from some of the older kids in this tribe um it's kind of like this weird like lost boys kind of situation not quite sure what's going on with this tribe so hopefully we do learn a little bit more about that but um uh, Cassian joins the others on this journey, leaving his kid sister behind. Um, the leader of this tribe, though, is killed, um, which leads Cassian to enter into this ruined ship where he angrily, de- angrily destroys the equipment inside. So we learn and, and some of the patches on some of these uh, fallen uh, soldiers on in this ship and in this area are separatists. I believe that to be true. Like I, I believe that's right that this area that he goes inside is like a separatist um you know a ship vessel and these are like separatist uh, soldiers who are involved here so that is until marva appears with a friend as well as the uh droid that we met earlier which i believe is named b yes that, that that's the name of the the adorable little droid um and knowing that the republic will arrive soon she takes cassian um fearing what they may do to if they find cassian with the soldiers dead separating him from his sister so all of this is intercut with what we see in these three episodes but especially so at the end of episode three so why do you think that that was a creative choice here what do you think that that communicates about cassian well i'd like to say two things um the first thing is that uh b 
or B2, B2 EMO is his full designation, but B mm-hmm. is much easier. Um, I'll say it right here. Uh, this is the official stamp of approval. B can stay. Uh, <laughs> I love him. And I think that uh, if if somebody were to ask me, do you want another stuttering droid in Star Wars? Uh, I never in a million years would have said yes. Uh, but B can absolutely roll over Dio. He can just crush him under his big old <laughs> wheels. Uh, I love B. He's great. Uh, so that's thing one out of the way. Uh, thing two, uh, and not to be confused with the Dr. Seuss uh, character, but thing two is uh, I watched the last five minutes of episode three like a few times. Like I watched it and went like, hold on, <laughs> like rewound it and watched mm-hmm. it like a couple more times because... It's awesome. It's great. Um, I didn't say this. I, I think I mentioned it up top, but the music is phenomenal. It's yeah. incredible. I'm pretty sure this is the same composer that did Succession, if I'm not wrong. Um, Correct. And like, not that it sounds like Succession, even though I love the soundtrack for Succession, but I'm just like, this guy has just got away with music and it's very, it's very different from what we've seen in a lot of star Wars, but I think that it fits really well. And especially in these moments where these flashbacks of him being taken away from his life and brought into a new one, uh, or at least a new opportunity is given to him. Um, somewhat without his choice, right? Talking a lot about, about, the ability to choose or not to choose um, mm-hmm. this new life is given to him without his choice. The there's no dialogue. It's, it's merely, you know, what do you see here? What do you see there? And just this incredible score. Um, I think that it plays so well. It's a, it's honestly like a very kind of gut wrenching, like scene to watch. Um, where it's, it's juxtaposed as like this kid is being taken away from his family and we know that and the characters know that. And it's not like explained to him like, Hey, listen, we did this cause you're probably going to die. Um, we don't know that for sure, but you might've. And so we're going to just take you. Um, and obviously in the future, he doesn't really have a choice. His only option is to leave with Luthen. Um, or get arrested and or killed. Um, and or killed and or killed. I'm going to regret ever saying that because now if I ever think of that, it's like, I have to avoid saying that (laughs) crap, uh, or and or killed. Uh, that's, (laughs) that's how, that's how we'll, uh, distinguish those. Um, but it's that, that sense of like, great, this sucks. Like this situation sucks on both ends. Like it equally sucks both times. However, uh, both scenes are shot with this like oncoming sunlight of like, you know, this, this gleaming bright, warm light that is, you know, traditionally, at least in star Wars meant to signify hope and meant to signify a future. And it's really difficult to watch this and not think of all of the emotions associated because 
you know, you watch something like A New Hope and you see Luke looking off towards the sunset, right? And you get an idea of this, this forlorn sort of longing, this, this you know, wishfulness um, of, of a future and, uh, and of, of greener pastures and, and more exciting days. And that hope is fulfilled, which is great. In this scene, though, the, the hope is like blinding. It's so bright that it's like this future is, you know, you're, you're moving straight towards it. But realistically, in both scenarios, it's like right after, you know, your, you know, somebody that you love has been killed or you've been stolen from your family or your, your town has been destroyed by these, you know, you know, for lack of a better term, corrupt police officers. And but yet you're looking at this, you're looking at like your destination as if it's a gleaming bright future. It's really like, it's just one of those things that I'm like, God, I am amazed at what star Wars can do. And mm-hmm. that shot specifically of, of older Cassian kind of looking and it's, it's golden hour and he's hot Cassian. Um, we've seen it in the, you know, a couple of TV spots and trailers and whatnot. Yeah. That shot has, so much more meaning now of kind of like the way that he is processing what's happening into one of those, like just that look on his face is more than just like a, Hey, look, it's your poster character. Hey, look, it's your title character. It's Hey, look, this character is, you know, taking their, their first step into a larger world, which is Mm -hmm. just one of those moments that we, that we get so, you know, so rarely in Star Wars, but it's such a blessing every time we do. So I can't speak enough about the last few minutes of episode three. Really, really was moving, honestly. Yeah, I think the kind of the key word in this is just like kind of agency um, in that neither of these choices or neither of these moments really seem to show a lot of choice from Cassian. Yeah. Um, like He chooses, yes, to go with uh, Luthen, but like, not really. Like, what's yeah. the alternative? You know, like uh, he's just going to sit here and die. So I'm curious to see if it is after that, uh, you know, they get away from the situation and they're quote unquote safe. You know, what is Cassian's reaction going to be? Is he kind of kind of go along with this until, you know, he has an opportunity to leave? Does he believe in this sort of does he trust, you know, Luthen? Like, I'm just curious to see that that thread kind of continued here. But yeah, I really like that. One Cassian is, you know, when he's younger is now going to have a different perception of the Republic um, that, you know, that's something that he needs to escape from because they're going to kill him. We obviously know that Cassian has uh, his his, you know, adolescence is with the separatist movement. So I, that probably is uh, as a result of, of this and him kind of being taken away or, quote unquote, saved from the Republic. I'm curious to see um, what that's all like with uh, Marva, as well as her friend, which I don't believe has a name yet. So I'm curious to learn more from them. Um, but yeah, it just all of this, I think just really points to this sense of a lack of choice with Cassian and that in his life, he hasn't really had an opportunity to 
choose what his next path is going to be. Um, he, he owes people money, so he's got to pay off those debts and he probably has to do something or sell something or do some mission that he maybe doesn't really want to, um, all in an effort to try to just kind of get by and just continue surviving. Um, I think that also is a really nice journey that we eventually know the conclusion of, of Cassian eventually sacrificing himself, choosing to put himself you know, uh, second to the overall, you know, the, the, the rebellion and, and, and what it means and, and, and sacrifice him for a greater cause than himself. Um, I think that that's something that is going to be a really emotionally rich journey for Cassian to go on this season. And I I can't wait to, to see more, um, in the next episode, but yeah, that kind of concludes, you know, these first three episodes. I know we kind of really breezed through it here, but you know, uh, I'm excited for, um, yeah, I'm excited to be able to talk about these episodes a little bit more in depth because we, we do have, lots of stuff to discuss in these first three episodes. Yeah, they're it's interesting because I do think that these episodes really do move at a clip. Um the first one ended and I was like, wait, 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 wait. I I barely even finished my my chips and cheese. I'm like only a third of the way through my cravings box and first episode's done. Um I fully was like expecting to like bunker down for like a few yeah. hours and and sit with this. Um but I mean, that's kind of a, a good feeling, right? Is like I, the first episode ended and I was like, oh my God, like I, I wasn't done. Keep, like, keep it going. I wasn't done, you know? Right. Um, so I, I do think that that's, you know, that's a good sign. I, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to adjust to, okay, great. You only get, you know, another 35, 40 minutes uh, next week and that's it. Um, because I do think that, now that these first three episodes are done, we will probably move into much greater strides. Um, The first episode, a lot was established, but nothing really occurred. Um, So I think that, you know, from from episode one to three, you get a, a solid picture of where things start and how things, you know, move along. I'm hoping that, you know, in the in the upcoming episodes that we kind of get a little bit more progression not just, you know, because I want stuff to happen, but more in the sense of, you know, I can see the show going in a lot of different directions. I can see the show, you know, making its way through a lot of different ideas and and plot points and things like that. And what things are we going to hit? How fast are we going to get through this? And by the end of it, is it going to feel like, oh my goodness, we went a long way in a little bit of time? Um, Because... Yeah, I think it's going to fly by. I think I'm going to be, you know, really surprised to to reach the end of this show and and be like, wow, it's this is already over um, because I was very impressed with these first three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in really any rush to see anything like really Titanic happen to these characters. Oh, yeah. um, I like that. It's very character driven so far. None of the stakes are really galactically big, but they're very important to these characters. Um, you know, there's no super weapons or Sith artifacts or Jedi stuff or Sith stuff or Darth Vader's there or, you know, any, we're not dealing with the Skywalker saga here. These are characters who made a bad decision and we see other characters, um, respond to, you know, being put in this situation and, and, and what is their choice going to be? Are they going to make a right choice and, and, you know, uh, continue to, 
or, or are they going to continue to, to, you know, fend for themselves and, and to just act in their own self-interest because we see like a character like Tim do that, you know, and what happens to him? He ends up getting killed, you know? Um, I don't think he was doing anything, uh, malicious in this, in the sense of like, like he's not an evil character, but he was trying to protect somebody that he cared about and do what he thought was right. And what ended up happening. So I, I think that the show is obviously in, in a lot of star Wars is about the importance and the, the impact of choice. But I love that the choices that we see with these characters on the galactic scale scale seem so small. So I'm really excited to, to see what the, the further dominoes that are going to fall because of that kind of initial push of Cassian um, making this choice um, on that planet. Yeah. And that's obviously something that we'll see. I'm, I'm really interested to see how, you know, this chase, I guess, because I can't imagine that uh, the Corpos are like, all right, screw it. We're not, we're not worried about this guy anymore. I'm interested to see how that is going to eventually tie into the empire, the Senate, you know, yeah. However, well, that he, Cassian's out. now killed a few of them. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. They're not yeah. going to, they're not going to let that slide. So whenever the yeah. empire gets involved, that's when, that's when the stakes will go up. And even still like that, those are the things that I'm, that I'm here for to see, you know, kind of like Luthan alludes to is how about we really like do some damage? How about we really like, you want to fight them the right way? I think is what he says is you want to fight these bastards the right way. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really, really looking forward to that in the sense of like, great, you've shown your, your capacity of, you know, wanting to fight back against this thing. Um, do you want that? Yes or no. So very, very excited for that. Yeah. And to kind of wrap in my final thoughts as well as, you know, as I mentioned up top, this is a show that is delivered in a, in a mature way in a way that leans more towards uh, a quote-unquote realistic side of things, but also has not only those Star Wars, uh, you know, obviously the cosmetics and the technology and all that kind of fantasy stuff too, but also has the core ideas of what makes Star Wars Star Wars. What are the ideas that Star Wars is interested in in, uh, exploring, interested in examining this idea of the importance of choices, how your own choices uh, impact others, but also this sense of you have power, you have responsibility. What are you going to do with that power? Um, and 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 how is that the the way that you wield that power going to affect those around you? So I think that this show feels so different, but yet so familiar in a way that you know I I'm just so uh, so fascinated by this show that it it felt truly truly unique in a way that I just don't really feel that I have seen in Star Wars on screen. I I feel like this almost felt like a book more than anything, and I don't mean that as a bad thing. Um, I'm just very excited to explore all the nooks and crannies of everything and that the show is going to be geared more towards the the political side of star wars not just in universe but out of universe too there's obviously a lot of real world uh applications for what we're seeing here and i do not anticipate that uh letting up in the episodes to come that's i'm i mean i'm fully hoping for it i hope it goes you know a a little bit deeper i think any deeper we'd you know we're gonna be well actually I, I I shouldn't say that because I already know, like thinking back in the trailer, like we've got like people with riot shields, uh, you know, that yeah. we're going to end up seeing like this is uh-huh. they're not going to let up with that kind of thing. So I'm interested yeah. to kind of see the general reaction um, to where that's at. But yeah, I'm, you know, I'm here for all of it because this is 
an important way to get a lot of people to hear a certain perspective, to hear a story from, you know, from a certain Mm -hmm. perspective. Um, so that's, that's going to be, you know, something that obviously we'll keep talking about, um, as, as a major theme, uh, something that like I thought was interesting because you kind of mentioned it is like, this feels the most like watching this, sitting down and watching this has felt the most like watching something that is wholly, truly Star Wars um, to where like it speaks out that it that it's like, no, this is like through and through Star Wars. And it's funny because the reason that it feels like that is that it is so new and different. And that's such a weird thing. Like I can, I can hardly explain it to where like, the force awakens does a lot of things that are like you you've really never seen this you've seen this but you've really not seen it and it's still like you know it's like oh yeah that's no definitely and you know kind of continuing on the last jedi does that where it's like you've never seen this and it's still it still feels like star wars i it's crazy how you can do that on screen because you know that couldn't be just cooked up in a like okay, great. So the last movie did this thing, or, you know, one of the better movies did this thing. So we'll kind of use that. We'll tweak it. I understand that, you know, the force awakens is a, you know, it's, it's a loose kind of interpretation of what the, you know, what a new hope really is at its core. Um, and some people slide it for that. I think that, you know, you're kind of missing the point. Um, but, you know, kind of continuing on from that, I think The Last Jedi does something that's so different. And that's, you know, the last thing that we've seen where somebody's had a chance to do something really big and and boundless and new in Star Wars that still feels very much like Star Wars. Um, and that's not a bad thing when it comes to, you know, shows like The Mandalorian, um, because obviously you've got a little bit of a, a little bit of a sandbox there. These these are all brand new characters but it's still an idea that's very familiar. And then with the book of Boba Fett, it's Boba Fett. He's been around for a while with Obi-Wan. We're returning to a familiar place with familiar characters and you don't have a whole lot of room to craft something that is so fresh and new. And with this, it's just, it's off the wall, how different it feels and why I can't understand or explain why that makes it feel more like star Wars, but it does. Um, And I'm just, like I'm just like wanting to applaud it for that. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think if a show like this does really well, um, I would be even more enthusiastic to see star Wars return on the big screen. We had some updates on that um, this week, which, you know, uh, we've kind of talked about before, but this idea of Cassian and Mon Mothma are kind of the only tethers that we have to this. And Mon Mothma is like, in in not much in regards to canon we don't really know much about her so like this this fan kind of attachment to her is lesser than a han solo or a luke skywalker which is definitely understandable and even cassian too got a couple of novels and and he's a uh you know a supporting character um slash lead character a co-lead of of a spin-off prequel movie which leads me to just say that if we were to get like another Star Wars story, this is set in the past or the High Republic or the whatever, 
and it's dealing with all new characters because that's what we pretty much get in this other than Cassian. We haven't even met Mon Mothma in this. And other than Cassian, everybody is new. Every planet is new. All of this kind of stuff is new. Even the score of this sounds new. If you would play this out of context, I don't even know if I could put my finger on of like, oh, that sounds like Star Wars. And I don't say that as an insult. I think it's really exciting. Um, so yeah, all of that is just, if all of that to say, if fans really like this, that tells me that there is an appetite for newness. Um, uh, not just, oh, this is dark, so it's automatically cool of, no, this idea of we're exploring new ideas, new corners, new, new characters, but also a new way to tell these stories and how we can go about, um, you know, telling Star Wars stories stories. So um, I'm all on board and I'm uh, very excited to return next week to talk about episode four. Yeah, that's that's something that I'm, you know, you kind of mentioned it just there with, you know, these this being a different flavor. Um, obviously excited for this to continue um, and kind of see the different corners that it gets to. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be the, the one to stand up and say, yes, I hope that we get even darker from here. Um it's going to go to a lot of different places, especially once Sagarera is introduced. Um, mm -hmm. I'm hoping beyond hope. This is the only time you'll hear me say it, that I'm hoping that his character is kind of fully what we know of him um, as someone who's radical. So that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to. Um, I don't think he'll be around next week for episode four. Um, I could be wrong kind of don't know where this is going to go. That's that's what I'm most excited for is I don't even know what the next steps look like and that's yeah. you know incredibly intriguing for me. So do you we'll have uh, any any predictions or any directions that we think we're going next week or are you kind of just I'm I'm ready for the ride. I think it's Luthen to me is my like big question mark um right yeah. now. I was thinking the same thing. You know, of kind of okay, we see a little bit of him being you know, is he this, you know, Senate philanthropist kind of like influencer guy? Not like a, he's <laughs> like a TikTok influencer. Um, no, is he, you know, is, is he somebody who's, you know, got this importance wherever he's from? Um, is he like wanting to recruit somebody for a mission? Is he wanting somebody that's going to be, you know, that's going to stick around for a little while? Big, big question mark for him. Um, but I do think that we will get a swift answer um, in the next yeah. episode, whether it's, okay, great, this is everything about me and this is what I'm doing. Also, I need your help. Or it's, okay, here's what I'm about. I want you to do this thing. And then you never have to speak to me again. Um, we'll see. But for now, like I'm okay holding off on Saw Gerrera. I'm okay holding off on Mon Mothma and the Empire and whatever that means. I'd love to know a little bit more about Luthen's character. Um, I think that's probably what I'm hoping for most from, from episode four. I'm also wondering how much more we will get with flashbacks. Um, it was something that I thought about at the end of episode three was you know, is this kind of the conclusion of the flashbacks to say, okay, great, you've got the information that you need, um, and this is where things cut off, or will it be, you know, we're going to continue to show you how Casa at this point, how his life is affected by and or how he changes. God damn it. <laughs> I said it again. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> and, or and... <laughs> 
how he, <laughs> how he changes it uh, to kind of fit the, you know, what what he needs to do to protect himself. Because they mention a few things. Uh, they mention a few past charges that he's had uh, that lead me to believe that he revisits uh, that he revisits his home planet at some point and maybe causes quite a ruckus. And I got really, really interested in that. They like, they mention that he has been charged with like destruction of Imperial property and some, there was some disaster slash accident at an Imperial mining facility. And I was like, Oh my God, I really, really want to know what happened. So I'm not, I'm not going to lean one way or the other to say that I, you know, whether or not I want more flashbacks, I know that that was a huge sticking point for people with the book of Boba Fett was, you know, why is 50% of the story focused on before we actually know what's happening? Um, so I don't know. I, I think it remains to be seen, but there's a lot of importance. I think that that's the thing is there's a lot of important stuff to look at there uh, in flashbacks. So I don't want to discount them just yet. Um, but I am curious because I really don't know if it would go one way or the other. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that specifically? Well, I mean, a few things as far as the flashbacks are concerned, I think the trend is the same as it was in the book of Boba Fett and the same as it is in this episode. It's like, well, why are there flashbacks? It's like, well, watch them. <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah. they tell you uh, <laughs> that not only is it plot significance, uh, but it's also, I think, more importantly, character and thematic significance, too, just as it is with the book of Boba Fett and just as it is with this episode. So I think we're definitely going to get more of that. Um, we for sure are going to get more flashbacks, uh, not only because do we see in the trailers that we get some storm or some clone trooper you know appearances um but i want i want more i want to see cassian and his separatist uh self uh as as a youngster and what is his relationship with the republic how does that color his relationship with the empire now does he view them as the same thing like that's really interesting and fascinating to me also we learn that his dad at one point dies is it his new adopted father we don't see him in this you know he he eventually leaves the picture at one time time um or is it his actual father um we probably will learn more about what the, exactly that incident was what was that accident so um i'm very excited to explore more of that as far as predictions for next week um i think we are definitely going to spend more time um with our uh, favorite uh, inspector karn here um i think the empire is probably going to get involved here because you know things are maybe spilling out of control of these the corpos um and i would also really like to um, spend more time with Luthen. What exactly is his deal? Um, and, and, and to understand what is his kind of stake in all of this, I don't expect to get a lot of like flashbacks with him necessarily. Um, we could, that could be fine. I'd be okay with that, but I think we're still going to hold off on Mon Mothma for, um, a little bit, but if she's introduced next week, I think that's fine too. You know, we're, we're over a quarter way done with this series. And I think that that is a, uh, an understandable part to, uh, introduce Mon Mothma at. So, um, we're going to see the cause that, you know, Luthen is trying to inspire Cassian to join. And if Mon Mothma is a part of that cause, it makes sense that she would be in next week. But I think you can guarantee that we're going to get some Imperial involvement next week for sure. Um, and I would learned, uh, I'd love to learn a lot more um, about Luthen. So, yeah, I can't wait for episode four. Yeah, I am stoked. I'm stoked beyond stoked to get back into it. Um hard to think that it's a full week away um, because this is something I'm very excited for. I'm really happy with, uh, with the premiere. And I really do hope that, that more people uh, will cling on to this one. I know, uh, you know, 
I, I'd be interested to look at some some numbers for Premiere uh, and what that might look like as far as watch time and and that sort of thing. Um, but I haven't gotten a chance to talk to um, haven't gotten a chance to talk to like the people that I talk to about TV shows and whatnot um, because I've been watching the show and then also uh, recording this podcast was you know that was the thing <laughs> the most recent thing that I was doing. Um, so the most recent uh, thing you mean like right now? Yes, or right now, right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, immediately after this, uh, I will be giving a call to probably my dad and my brother and be like, "You gotta watch this. It's so it's so worth it. I think you'll like it." So I I I'd want to tell a bunch of people to watch this. I think it's great. I'm so well, excited. Shout it from the rooftops, open the window, tell your neighbors, tell your friend. Uh, episodes one through three of Andor are streaming right now with episode four coming out on Wednesday morning. So until then, Noah, do you want to wrap it up and take us home? For sure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. We hope you learned something today. If there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover, you can head over to our Twitter and shoot us a message at Pod. But for now, this has been Scum and Villainy with Noah DeGeorge. And Garrett McDonough. And may the force be with you. We'll see you next time. See you guys.